in your quest for improving your body composition and getting leaner or stronger, don't forget your micronutrients, so your vitamins and minerals. And I'm not just saying, this isn't me saying eat your vegetables. This could be, how can you speed up your metabolism? This is the Best You Podcast. My name is Nick Carrier, and I'm an entrepreneur and fitness trainer who has coached over 500 people through my program, The 10-Week Transformation. My mission is to make living a healthy lifestyle simple so you can look and feel like your best you. Sam Miller is a certified nutritionist and licensed board certified health practitioner who wrote a book called Metabolism Made Simple. Today, he's going to talk to you about the factors that influence your metabolism, how to assess your current level of metabolic health, the healthy habits to improve your metabolism, and the dangers of constant dieting. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, make sure you hit the follow button. And if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of our Monday and Wednesday episodes to learn how to make living a healthy lifestyle simple. For now, it's time to get closer to your best you with Sam Miller. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Best You Podcast. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by Sam Miller to talk about how to improve your metabolism so that you can look and feel like the best version of yourself. Uh, Sam, let's just jump right in, man. I know that a lot of us have a fixed mindset towards metabolism. Oftentimes, we think that we were born with a slow slow metabolism, and that person was just born with a really fast metabolism. But I know that you talk about how, yes, of course, like, anything there's a genetic component to it but it also is very adaptive so first question is like what influences our metabolism the most yeah so that's a great question and something i think a lot of people have misconceptions around so when it comes to metabolism it is really a gauge of both energy in terms of intake so the food we eat contains energy in the form of calories and then it's also a gauge or barometer of stress and really it's reflected as a result of our lifestyle. So some of the biggest drivers, people usually attribute some of their challenges related to metabolism or weight loss or building muscle. They may speak a lot to the hereditary factors when in reality, our past dietary decisions, past training decisions, lifestyle, uh, meaning our movement, our sleep, stress management, those things really play into our overall metabolic health and can drive those long-term outcomes. So the good news is, you probably have more influence than you think, uh, and you can work off that hereditary baseline. And that's where the decisions we make, the choices we make on a daily basis are so powerful in shifting that metabolic status quo. Is it something where like if somebody was listening and they are like, I want to, I know I have a, or I think I have a slow metabolism, I want to speed it up, or I already have a pretty good metabolism and I want to speed it up. Is it any one thing in particular? Like, do you ever say, 60% of it is movement, 40% of it is nutrition. Like, is there any kind of like lever that you feel like would be the first one that you should try to pull because it's the biggest lever when it comes to improving your metabolism? So I think when people say the phrase, speed up my metabolism, really what they're wanting to achieve is either weight loss or the idea of being able to maybe eat a bit more and sustain their weight or not gain Mm -hmm. weight if they're happy with their body composition. And when we refer to metabolism solely in terms of speed, we lose some of the bigger picture. So metabolism is really just like a lot of chemical reactions in your body, which are completely normal and should happen uh, on a daily basis. So metabolism is this really broad overarching concept. When people talk about speeding up metabolism, 
there's a few things that they're usually referring to, uh, but more or less it's energy expenditure. So if you were to look at, uh, you know, calories burned, usually people refer to that as TDEE or total daily energy expenditure, which is a combination of our exercise activity, non-exercise activity, uh, thermic effect of food, which means sometimes, you know, the calories that we consume, we have to burn some of those calories in digestion. And then on top of that, we have sort of this baseline metabolism or resting metabolic rate. Now, some things you can do that are good for metabolism would be not dieting all the time, because when we constantly diet, we have some transient downregulations that happen that's called metabolic adaptation. As far as things you can do to be proactive, uh, your basic daily movement, things like going for walks, getting your protein in. So protein has the highest thermic effect of feeding of any of the macronutrients and then resistance training, not so much for the calories you are burning in the training session, but more so the fact that uh, skeletal, skeletal muscle tissue sends completely different chemical messengers. So remember I said metabolism is kind of this series of reactions going on in the body and also this energy regulator. What's great about muscle is it creates this completely different profile uh, versus if you have fat tissue on your frame. So fat is kind of inherently inflammatory, different chemical messengers. Think of these as like little DMs. So the same way that let's say you have iMessage on your phone or WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger, Instagram, um, and maybe you've got a couple apps that are your favorite, your body has these little individual chemical messengers, whether it's hormones, cytokines, and these have a very specific purpose. So if we want to be very intentional about our physique and long-term health, it behooves us to eat foods and to train in such a way that really supports like that optimal messaging in the body. And so that's really important for metabolism. I do think there's a misconception though. People place a little too much emphasis on speed versus health. So when you're metabolically healthy, when you have the right amount of muscle tissue, good, you know, good body composition, you have good nutritional status, you know, you are in a place where you should be pretty adaptable in terms of being able to lose weight or put on some muscle. Um, we don't just want speed for the sake of speed. For example, someone who just has very high thyroid function, that's actually a medical condition called hyperthyroidism. So we don't want to go so far to the extreme and lose sight of the bigger picture, which is really, we want to be metabolically healthy. And there are certain things that can drive those uh, results. And some of those exist in the world of nutrition. Some of that's going to be training and some of that's going to be our lifestyle as well. Yeah. I want, I want you to dive a little bit deeper into metabolically healthy. You know, you said having muscle mass, uh, like some like cellular health, what does people throw around metabolically healthy as a phrase all the time? Talk to me, talk to us a little bit more deeply around what that actually means and how can we actually reach higher, higher levels of metabolic health? For sure. That's a great question. I'm glad you elaborated on that because sometimes I do podcasts like this and people will focus so much more on kind of that end result of weight loss versus really making sense of what metabolic health actually is. Sometimes in order to create a definition for something, it's helpful to look at the opposite. So what would metabolically unhealthy be? And that would be someone who's probably insulin resistant, fairly high levels of inflammation in the body, probably higher levels of adipose tissue or fat, which could be both the fat that you typically see in the mirror is more like subcutaneous fat, but also as we gain body weight and body fat, we have more sort of fatty deposits around our organs uh, called visceral fat, which is not very good for long-term health outcomes. So if we were to be metabolically unhealthy, uh, we'd probably have a relatively inflexible metabolism. We'd probably be fairly insulin resistant, uh, meaning we might see high fasting glucose markers. If you were to go to the doctor, high A1C, um, 
basically progressing more towards what is metabolic syndrome, which is a number of different criteria. But if you were to have kind of expanded waistline, higher blood pressure, other markers of poor metabolic health, that's essentially moving progressively from a state of insulin resistance to metabolic syndrome. Type 2 diabetes is kind of a peripherally related topic. So when I look at being metabolically unhealthy, I think of someone um, where there's, you know, a lack of movement. Uh, there's a lack of, you know, our, our body's not functioning the way that it's supposed to. We have a hard time pulling energy through the system is really what energy, uh, excuse me, insulin resistance is is someone where someone who's active and metabolically healthy, they can pull that energy through the system and they have the ability to either use it and expend it in their daily activities, or it fuels uh, the performance of their muscles or kind of goes in that fuel tank uh, of glycogen versus being stored uh, as body fat. So when I look at being metabolically healthy, I look at being able to use um, an array of macronutrients for fuel, having a uh, pretty well-managed body composition. You don't need to be Arnold or stepping on stage at the Olympia or look like a bodybuilder year round, but you probably want to have a decent amount of muscle uh, looking at things like hip to waist ratio, uh, basically, you know, being able to, and these are things you can monitor with like dress size or pant size. You don't need to get too far into the data on that. Um, you know, managing your body composition, I would look at if we were to get more specific in terms of things like lab markers, probably you're fasting insulin and there's a marker called C-reactive protein that you can get at the doctor's office. That's a great marker of inflammation as well. Uh, we could also look at things like lipids and triglycerides, which typically tend to get skewed and kind of out of whack as we become more metabolically unhealthy. And then hormonal function also plays into that as well. So typically the more metabolically unhealthy we get, typically the more metabolic and hormonal dysfunction we will see across the board. So when I look at metabolic health, it's really a state of pretty pretty good or optimal body composition. We have the ability to, um, you know, we're likely achieving some level of like weight maintenance at some point, whether, you know, down the road, you could certainly pursue like muscle building, going to surplus or going to fat loss phase. Uh, you likely have managed inflammation in your body. A little bit of acute inflammation is okay, but we don't want it just running rampant long-term. Uh, you are insulin sensitive, meaning uh, you are more receptive to those nutrients that you're taking in and you have the ability to kind of shift between these phases of either building muscle or losing fat, depending on how you steer your nutrition. Whereas someone who's metabolically unhealthy, it's going to be the opposite. So hormone dysregulation or dysfunction, probably some levels of systemic inflammation as a result of their diets. They're probably micronutrient deficient, meaning they're lacking adequate vitamins and minerals because that fat tissue also, and then inflammation uh, will sort of, it'll make us more susceptible or predisposed to certain micronutrient deficiencies like vitamin D or magnesium. That's also a problem. And then we kind of continue down this path. It's really a vicious cycle once you get to a state of being metabolically unhealthy. But unfortunately, you know, upwards of like 80% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy at this point in just the Western world in general. So it becomes a very important topic when we're looking at kind of the state of the union related to our health. Yeah, that was very, that was very extensive. And you gave a lot of different things to focus on and identify to see maybe where your state of metabolic health is. And I know everybody's going to really appreciate that. A lot of those things like body composition, insulin sensitivity, hormone function, those are things that can be regularly, um, I guess, controlled by your lifestyle and by your habits and everything like that. But there's also this notion that 
as we get older, our metabolism slows down. But it sounds like a lot of these things are simply just lifestyle factors. So I guess my question to you is, is there some truth to the fact that as we get older, our metabolism slowed, slows down? Or is it less a factor of getting older and more a factor of just not living out these lifestyle habits that we need to be living out? Generally speaking, it's a lifestyle change. I would say for most individuals, there are some hormonal and metabolic changes that may occur during menopause for women, but not to a point where they can't make changes to their health. I think we want to be very careful around how we assign certain labels. And like you said earlier in the episode, having a fixed mindset around certain things. But for the most part, really uh, what we see is there's muscle loss, which is, is a result of inactivity or lack of resistance training or weight bearing exercise. Even body weight movements can help here. So I think it's a change in lifestyle as well as a lack of prioritization of resistance training and staying active and weight bearing activities, even, you know, uh, going beyond, I think walking is kind of that fundamental baseline, but I think we could all benefit from resistance training at least two days per week for every population, regardless of what your goal is. I think it's just so important for overall human health. So when we look at across the lifespan, what I see happening a lot, especially when I used to work with some older client populations is let's say you had had kids at home, you were running around a soccer practice, you were picking up kids at school, you were playing with them, you were trying to keep up with what was going on in the house. And then you have this change, maybe they go off to college or you know, you're know you're retired. People have a pretty significant change that may happen in their 50s, it may happen in their 60s, maybe it's a little, it, it really depends on the person. But I would argue that usually what's happening is there's some sort of lifestyle change that's led to a shift in behaviors, or you've stopped playing a sport or exercising the way that you were, or maybe someone sustains an injury that they don't bounce back from. So when I've actually been able to dive into those cases, more often than not, I'm able to identify something that was a significant shift either in food consumption, energy expenditure, uh, resistance training habits, playing a sport, hobbies, activities, uh, something along those lines, or just their day-to-day -day life changed as a result of a difference in like their family ecosystem or environment. It's not all of a sudden like, oh, resistance training didn't work for me. Uh, I've seen training work even for people in their 70s and 80s. So it's really not so much uh, that the training's not working, it's that the lifestyle changed in the background and we need to look at those things overall. So regardless of your age, if you're listening to this, I uh, would definitely encourage you to be as active as you can be. Um, I actually fortunate that I have my 88-year-old dad still in my life, and he still tries to train two or three days a week. That's a newer thing for him. He was not always someone who would go to the gym and do those things. Uh, going for walks can be a key activity as well. So start, start somewhere, start small, um, but don't attribute the challenges you're experiencing solely to age. Sometimes there's stuff that happened along the way, and that's okay. But uh, it's it's not always a result of just the fact that we're getting older. Right. And I, I think when you attribute it solely to age, you're handcuffing yourself. You're giving yourself no way out. And it's just, it's an easy thing to blame, but it's not really the, the source of it all. I, I really like how you identified how there's just oftentimes different seasons of people's lives, whether it's a factor of your, your where your kids are at at a certain age, what your job is or what you're involved in that can dramatically change, like you said, energy expenditure or energy consumption. And that is like, to me, a notification to everybody to 
be aware of when these season seasonal changes happen. Like if you change jobs and all of a sudden you're much more sedentary, like your en energy expenditure is naturally going to be less. Is there a way you can compensate for that? Or are you going to have to change a little bit of your energy consumption? And then, like you said, if your kids go get older and you're not running around and everything like that, what do you need to do to maybe still make sure you're staying as active? So I think that was a, a great point out for you. Next thing I want to dive into is when you coach people for nutrition, and I'm going to kind of give you a, uh, some context around most of the people here that are listening are maybe looking to lose maybe 5, 10, 15, maybe 20 pounds. But for the most part, they want to like lose that weight and they want to find a place that they can just sustain their results. They're not looking to be bodybuilders, but they want, they want to look a certain way, but they want to get to a point where they can maintain. When you are looking at somebody who is in that, like maybe I want to lose 5, 10, 15 pounds and I'm looking to maintain, what are the most important factors to be tracking nutritionally or to be like at least most mindful of when it comes to nutrition. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned this because this will connect back to our conversation around aging as well and how that impacts metabolism, because we really all need to be tracking these factors. And there were two quick things I wanted to add. That'll be a nice segue into this conversation is with age. Do remember, you know, if, if you haven't necessarily gone and checked in on your health in a while, if, if you're in your fifties or sixties, please do that and get some baseline health markers. Also, you know, menopause is a real thing. Andropause is a real thing, meaning men may experience a slight decline in testosterone over time. However, a lot of that can be offset with lifestyle, nutrition, intelligent supplementation, and, and things of that nature. Some people may need to seek out um, some other therapies as well. So would encourage people to definitely get that baseline. As far as our nutritional baselines and things that I like to track when working with individuals or the way that I teach coaches to look at this is I always start people off simply with like some dietary recall or a seven day food log. If they are someone who tracks their food, if this person's totally new to tracking, you might just need to like hop on a quick call or walk through some sort of food journal with them. But a lot of people now in the health and fitness space do track their macros or macronutrients. So getting like a three to seven day food log is a great starting point. I'm a big believer in tracking biofeedback. I use sleep, hunger, recovery, energy, digestion, and stress, which uh, spells shreds as an acronym. And so if you remember to check on those and you have the food log, that gives you a baseline of what am I eating? How am I feeling? And then from there, we can look at other things like resistance training and track what we're doing in terms of whether it's our sets, reps, and weight. But my favorite thing, especially as a nutrition coach, is starting with the food log, looking at the energy intake, micronutrient intake. I'm a big fan. There's an app called Chronometer. I'm not compensated by them or um, like affiliated to say that on this podcast, but I, I do teach a lot through that uh, platform and using a food log to create awareness around what we're eating and our portion sizes. And they do a great job of providing macronutrient data as well. So I like that tool. I'm a big believer in biofeedback. And then some people like to add additional tracking tools on top of that. If they're a little bit more advanced, that could be something like resting heart rate or HRV. But for most people, biofeedback, your macronutrients, something like scale weight or body composition, depending on what your goal is. So if you have a goal to lose weight, you know, maybe we need to be looking at that or progress photos. But, but the one thing that sort of universally stays the same is I always like to start with some sort of dietary recall or food log. And I always, no matter what your goal is, because if you're building muscle or you're trying to lose fat, if you don't feel good and your quality of life is off, that's an indicator to me of underlying dysfunction of some kind. And I need to explore that metabolically. So that's where sleep, hunger, recovery, energy, digestion, and stress come in is I'll look at both a quantitative and qualitative marker 
of each one and assess how it connects back to the client's life. So sure. that could be both time in bed, hours of sleep. If someone has an aura ring, maybe we use that as a tool for hunger. I'm looking at your ability to regulate your hunger and cravings after a meal and stabilize your blood sugar. If that's continuously dysregulated, that shows me that we either need to change your food sources in a given meal, change the serving size, or potentially the ratios of certain macronutrients, maybe more protein or adjust things. Maybe you need a little more food volume to help with satiety. So I look at hunger recovery is basically going to mean, what did you recover from in the gym? How do you feel? Are you able to go back and get that training in energy level would be both like your zest for life, your motivation. I put libido in there too, under that category as kind of a sub component. And then we have digestion, which is our gut health. You can use just kind of tracking. Am I going daily? So we want to go at least one to three times per day and no less than three times per week. So if you can ideally have a bowel movement every day, that's perfect. Uh, if you're way above that or way below that, that's a sign we may want to look at your gut health. And as you eat a lot more calories or way less calories, that can influence your frequency of bowel movements as well. There's a great tool called a Bristol stool chart. It's totally free. You can Google it online. That's a good way to see um, the health of your bowel movements. And the last one is stress, which is where things like heart rate, HRV, blood pressure, those things can come into play with stress. But it's also just an assessment of your perceived stress in your life, because typically as that goes up, that can influence our you know dietary decisions and our training, as well as our sleep quality. So I like to have a pulse on that as well. So really universally, that's that's the only tool that I use with everyone along with that food log. And then depending on someone's goals, if they're an athlete, I might track certain things versus if it's just someone trying to get a little bit healthier, I might do more like foundational baselines and just the basics, whereas someone who's super advanced, I might give them a little bit more to do. Mm. Man, I love it. That was jam-packed. You guys need to make sure you rewind the last three or so minutes when he broke down the shreds, the sleep, hunger, recovery, energy, digestion, and stress, and all the different things that go along with those things to kind of like monitor in each of those areas. That was so great. Um, getting down towards the end here, I know you talk about something called nutrition periodization and the importance, like you mentioned, you touched on earlier how you don't want to just be dieting your entire life or throughout necessarily a long period of time. So talk to us about what nutrition periodization is and why it might be optimal, both for like a little bit of a fat loss goal, um, both like physiologically and potentially like psychologically as well. Yeah. So the seasonality of nutrition is how I sort of refer to the idea of nutritional periodization. And that first gained traction really more on the exercise science and training side of the industry. So periodization is just a fancy exercise science word for planning. So when we're periodizing, we're basically planning cycles of training over a period of time is really the layman's explanation of it. With nutrition, we want a similar level of planning and seasonality, but the problem is some people have had the same fat loss goal of losing 10 pounds for like the last five years. So seasonality becomes very important. You mentioned seasonality in a person's life, and this doesn't just mean getting older. This could mean, okay, you just had your first child. Maybe you're still young and healthy and you could totally go to the gym and do all sorts of things, but maybe you have some time constraints, right? You mentioned a new job. Maybe you're going for a promotion. There's a certain seasonality that comes with life just the way that you know, we're recording this in fall 2023 and the season of the leaves changing and pumpkins and different flavors being marketed, you know, to you when you go to the store is very common. So we need to embrace that same seasonality in our approach. 
And so what that might mean for you is maybe part of the year you spend focused more on your performance or athleticism, or maybe just maintaining your weight. Uh, maybe you spend part of the year focused on building muscle and really optimizing the work you're doing in the gym. And then maybe part of the year you focus on fat loss, weight loss, or improving that body composition. Because typically if we're only pushing that one direction, which a lot of people like to do, they like to solely focus on fat loss 12 months of the year, we actually end up making less progress. And we're constantly in this state of restriction and deprivation versus if we were to say have six months focused on a, another goal, maybe getting stronger or just feeling good and optimizing our health and then spending four to six months on the fat loss phase, we'd probably have a more successful fat loss phase and it wouldn't be quite as you know psychologically uh, draining or demanding versus feeling like you're pursuing the same goal, spinning your wheels and doing it for 12 months in a row. So uh, the seasons of nutrition is how I describe nutritional periodization. And it's basically just a big word for planning, having some strategy and understanding kind of your exit strategy or approach from your diet phase so that you're not constantly like perpetually trying to pursue a calorie deficit. Mm. Yeah. And not only, like you said, I think such a huge part of that is the psychological part. You have a renew, if you have the same goal over and over and over again, it starts to not even become a goal. It starts to just become kind of this wish that I'll, I will continue to have as a goal, but I'll probably never get there. Every time you can kind of like break it up, psychologically, you get a renewed sense of energy anytime you're starting something that's slightly different. So I love how you talk about maybe focusing on fat loss, sometimes maybe focusing on performance, focusing on muscle building. Maybe you have a season where you want to become a better runner, so you focus on that. So like there's different ways that you can break it up to keep things fresh, both psychologically and physiologically. So that was great. Um, second to last question, if you as somebody who is a specialist and expert in metabolism, for you, what are some things that you try to personally get in like every single day or every single week as habits to ensure that your metabolic health is optimal? Yeah. So I'm going to start actually outside the gym in the kitchen, just because I think a lot of people probably, not that that's not correct. I, I certainly agree that you should get your training in and prioritize your nutrition. And we'll talk a little bit about that, but I think people forget how important it is to do basic lifestyle practices like, you know, getting a certain amount of sleep or, uh, going for a walk outside. So, uh, I'm fortunate that I do have, uh, animals in my home. So it requires me to go outside to let them outside. So typically every morning I try to get outside. This is important for your circadian rhythm or diurnal rhythm. It's basically your biological clock. So getting a little bit of that morning sun exposure, very important. And I think it's, it's becoming more popular, fortunately, just due to, uh, I think people are finally realizing like being on technology all the time, being on social media, looking at computer screens, maybe isn't the best thing for us. So it has certainly risen in popularity. Uh, sleep is very important for that insulin sensitivity aspect we talked about, modulating inflammation, recovering from your training sessions. So I think most people could benefit. Very rarely have I had clients who are oversleeping or like they're doing too much recovery. Usually it's the other way around. In terms of nutrition, I prioritize protein, which is probably an answer that you guys hear a lot on this podcast. So I'll give you something a little bit different, which is, you know, in your quest for improving your body composition and getting leaner or stronger, don't forget your micronutrients. So your vitamins and minerals. And I'm not just saying this isn't me saying eat your vegetables. This could be fruits. This could be uh, consuming protein sources, you know, that's not just protein powder, having something that has B vitamins and zinc and 
uh, heme iron and, and different nutrients that are going to be beneficial, or even other uh, lean protein sources may have selenium, which is an important micronutrient for thyroid health. So we really want to look at those micros and, and protein. And then my last one is, you know, obviously resistance training is a pillar for me, but my other, I think key from a movement perspective is I get a lot of like non-exercise movement, whether that's walking um, or just kind of getting up and moving around and do, whether it's doing chores, like I just generally try to stay somewhat in motion or active, uh, which I think is underrated. So combining, you know, your pillars of walking and resistance training for your movement, uh, nutrition, prioritize protein and micronutrition, uh, you know, alongside hydration. And then in your lifestyle, I think making sure that you're able to get adequate sleep, uh, manage your stress and get outside in the morning. That's a really great recipe for, you know, improving your metabolic health and likely uh, have a better shot at achieving your goals in the process. Mm, that was great. That was great. I appreciate all that breakdown. That was very thorough. Well, before I ask the last question, Sam, I just want to acknowledge you, man, like your level of expertise and knowledge and your ability to simplify it and communicate it in a way for everybody to be able to digest and not just digest, but then be able to implement it so they can improve their metabolic health is is next level. And I know that everybody who consumes your content and listens to you really appreciates the ability for you to do the research and you to communicate it simply so that they can implement it themselves. Yeah. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that compliment. It's always been a goal of mine to be able to translate some of those complex concepts to where people could actually use it for like legitimate information and create traction in their transformation, whether it's to lose body fat, build muscle, get a little bit healthier. You know, I dealt with a, a time before a lot of these podcasts exist. There's a lot of misinformation out there. It wasn't always applied appropriately to me and what my goals were. So I just try to like create clarity for people. And so it's, it's a, an amazing compliment and and something that uh, I really appreciate when when you share something like that. So that's certainly a goal of mine, and I'm glad I was able to share that with your audience today. Of course, man. Of course. Well, you guys need to make sure. I know you learned a lot today. You need to make sure that one, you go get his book, Metabolism Made Simple. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. You need to follow him on Instagram at Sam Miller Science. He also has an Instagram account called Metabolism School. And then he has a, his website, sammillerscience.com as well. A lot of great information for you guys to be able to learn a little bit yourself and then follow up on a lot of the things that he mentioned today to be able to implement into your life as well. Any other good place that people should go learn more about you? The website's great, sammillerscience.com. And then I'm Sammiller Science on just about every major platform. So really appreciate you including that. Um, and I probably spend the most time between Instagram and uh, doing podcasts and stuff like this as well. Uh, if there are any health and fitness coaches out there, definitely starting with the book is fantastic. Metabolism Made Simple. And then we have a program, uh, our nutrition and metabolism specialization, which is at metabolismschool.com. Beautiful, beautiful. Awesome, man. Well, last question is the hypothetical question. If you were only able to do three healthy habits for the rest of your life, for whatever reason, you were not be able to do everything that you wanted to do, but you're like, I can choose these three three healthy habits to do the rest of my life. Then what are those three healthy habits that you would choose? It's a great question. Probably sleep. Um, it's a toss-up. So it's definitely going to be sleep. And then I think resistance training is big, but I am such a proponent of walking. So it's it's like a tie between walking and protein intake. Um, but I think 
I had like a gun to my head, probably sleep, adequate protein and uh, resistance training. Although it would really upset me to exclude walking. So I might have to figure out a way to like walk during, walk around in circles during my resistance training. When you're resting in between sets. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. But, but those somewhere, somewhere between those three or four would probably be my top like keystone habits for sure. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, today was absolutely great. I know everybody learned a lot. I love your shreds breakdown. I think that was super um, informative with sleep, hunger, recovery, energy, digestion, and stress, and so many other great things that you shared here today. So y'all need to make sure you go follow him at Sam Miller Science. You need to make sure you go get his book, Metabolism Made Simple. But other than that, that's all we got today, Sam. Really appreciate your time, dude. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. That episode was jam-packed with education and also things to start being more aware of to improve your metabolism. If you'd like to try out the virtual 10-week transformation, one-week free trial, then go to nickcarrier.com slash free trial. You'll get three video workouts, 20 healthy recipes, and my goal-setting video course for free. nickcarrier.com slash free trial. Some of my biggest takeaways from Sam were this. Age is not as big of a factor when it comes to your metabolism as most people give it credit for. It's about lifestyle, energy intake, and energy expenditure. Shreds, sleep, hunger, recovery, energy, digestion, and stress. All of these things are important to monitor to determine your current state of metabolic health. And when it comes to nutrition, yes, protein is important, but also pay attention to some micronutrients by getting in your fruits, vegetables, and whole foods. Yes, protein powder can be great for helping you hit your protein goals, but it also doesn't contain the same beneficial micronutrients that things like grass-fed beef have, turkey, pasture-raised eggs, and wild-caught fish. If you can do these things, it will help you get closer to the healthiest version of you and ultimately closer and closer to your best you.